This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twang. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to the 200th episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We have a very fun show lined up for you tonight. We've got two special guests for you. Both of them will be uh, surprises because we haven't given out any clues as to these two guests at all. You kept a really good secret. I did. I've known I've known for about a month what was going to happen, and I haven't given out any hints or anything, and that's extremely hard for me because I usually always give out hints, and they usually end up blowing it before it's over with. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so on top of a fantastic story that we have tonight, which is actually going to be on the White House with help from uh, Sharon Murdoch, who helped us on last week's episode. She actually did most of the research on this one. So big props to Sharon. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate you, honey. Then we got the, the two special guests, but we're going to end the night. On a down note. It, <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> we have the newest installment, the 200th episode installment of Tracy Raps. God help you all. And we will put it right at the very end of the show. So have your barf buckets next to your bed. (laughs) And please cut me some slack. (laughs) Because it's really bad. We also have a new show sponsor tonight. Oh, We have two new show sponsors tonight. But one of them is going to be Adam and Eve. Uh, And if you know anything about Adam and Eve, uh, I I will give you the heads up in case there are children that you may not want to hear this ad. Oh, God. Should I even be in a room? Yeah, well, (laughs) probably not. (laughs) You were going to go there. (laughs) But I'll I'll at least give you the heads up because we do talk about a couple of adult things. No bad words, but still, you get it. You get it. Uh, And then we also have trykeen.com tonight, which is a, a psychic hotline that you call. And they're actually a new sponsor as well. So we'll tell you all about that a little bit later. But I think you guys are going to like that one especially. Okay. First of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. This includes all the frontline workers, all the nurses, doctors, uh, paramedics, uh, anybody working at the retail establishments and the restaurants, gas stations, anybody who is essential, especially the truck drivers out there, thank all of you for doing what you do. It means the world to everybody. It really does. And you guys are a blessing and angels on this earth because I don't know how you all do it, staying away from your families so long and you know, putting yourselves in harm's way to take care of other people, but you are admired by a lot of people. We love you guys so much, and we pray for you all every day. Keep up the good work. Absolutely. 
Also, it's being brought to our attention more and more every week that people are struggling that even, you know, during the regular times we're, we're having a rough time in life. And now things are extremely tough on people's psyche as they're going through the quarantine, going through the uh, panic attacks of what's going on in the world. When you can't flip on the news, you can't flip on Facebook without hearing about people dying of COVID, without hearing about how long it could be before restrictions are completely lifted. And, you know, California just had another three-month uh, lockdown order put in place. You know, it's, some places are opening up, but the places are opening up. Now you're hearing about how there's, you know, so much many more cases being diagnosed out there. So it really is enough to damage somebody who is completely fine mentally, let alone somebody who's already struggling in that department. So we just want people to know, you know, look, please contact somebody. We just, I just saw right before we came on, uh, somebody posted in the group that they've lost five friends to suicide in the past two weeks. That That's just horrible. So if you don't think this thing is having an effect on people, that right there tells you all you need to know. Suicides have doubled over the last two months from what they normally were. And, and it's all definitely related to people yeah. having to, you know, stay home, stay by themselves. In some cases, they're isolated with just themselves. And you and I both know that when you're in a situation to where you're by yourself, your mind is a terrible place to be sometimes. It can create places and things that don't even exist just because you have the time to just sit and think and dwell I know, on stuff. but you guys can get out and walk. You can still get out and go take walks and stuff. I mean, you have to. You have to. Yeah, stay stay moving. Stay as active as you can. Utilize Skype or Facebook yeah. Messenger or we've had the social best time. media. We've, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we've had the best time Skyping with people. Even the Zoom thing is so much fun. If anybody wants to Zoom with us or just anything like that, just to talk, get your mind off stuff, please reach out to us and do it. We will have a blast, I promise you. So you guys know we're always here. The group is always here for you all. It. I don't want to keep saying what everybody keeps saying. It's going to get better because, you know, Andy keeps saying it, and sometimes I just want to punch him in his face. 90% of our listeners don't know who Andy is. Well, our governor, Andy Bashir. <laughs> <clears throat> Not that he's doing a bad thing. I, I, you know, I get it. And he's very, he's been very upbeat about things. It's just 60 days of hearing it yeah, every day. Yeah, and I mean, you, do, you just, you just know, we're in this together, you know. And it's just like, <laughs> we know, Andy, we know that we're in it together, you know. But I'm just saying, it's it's not funny, but it kind of is because you know how it's starting. But we will get through this. And we all have each other. To lean on, to talk to, whatever you all want to do, please don't hesitate. I don't care what time of day or night it is. I don't care. Please, just reach out to us. Just do it. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get into the White House. I wanted to do the White House for this 200th episode because there is just so much history there. And when you think of all the pressure that goes along with the position and the times of crisis that have been dealt with in that place, it only goes to figure that there would be a great amount of paranormal activity. Oddly enough, there's no record of anyone ever dying in the White House itself. No kidding. So it's not from people's deaths itself. It's more from, you know, the people who have passed away that once 
spent time at the place. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where they feel the need to come back at. So the White House is located, as most people know, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. Tracy. Yes. Did you know that the White House was officially known as the Executive Mansion from 1810 to 1902? No, it did not. On some early maps, this is even before it was known as the Executive Mansion, it was known as the Presidential Palace. Oh. And they actually changed that name to the Executive's Mansion because they didn't want it to be confused with like a royalty type thing. And when you think yeah, palace, palace, you think so that. they changed that. Even back when it was called Executive Mansion, some people started calling it the White House because of all the other houses in the area were made of red brick. Mm-hmm. So this one was just kind of stood out. Eventually, the name was officially changed to the White House in 1902. Teddy Theodore Roosevelt was the president then, and he officially made the name change. Now, the building itself was built on October 13th, 1792. I guess I should say started. It wasn't completely built then. Yeah. Matter of fact, it took a while to, to, to finish to, it. To finish. They actually held a public uh, competition, we'll say, to choose the design of the White House. So they didn't already have an architect and say, this is what we're going to be. They held they held a competition and had everybody compete you know, submit their designs. Oh, as my the White gosh. House I didn't be. know that. Thomas Jefferson was actually one of the people to choose a design, but he lost to a gentleman by the name of James Hoban. They were probably, I'm, I'm assuming they were probably like, look, TJ, dude, you, you wrote the Declaration of Independence. You were yeah. part of the Constitution. Yeah. I mean, back off. Let's somebody else have a chance. Exactly. That's what I'm, I'm but guessing. But still in our thunder. <laughs> James Hoban won $500 for his efforts. Five hundred. I guess that was pretty good pretty money good back, back then. In this, yeah, you know, of course. Seventeen hundreds. So he designed this building. It had three floors and just a few more than a hundred rooms. The construction company came in, and I say construction company. That's really not an accurate statement because there wasn't a company. It was a bunch of local um, laborers in the area, and primarily slaves. That built the White House. You are kidding. I did not know that. No. As a matter of fact, the right there around the area of where the construction was started, they built these temporary huts, and that's where all the people that were doing the construction of the White House stayed. So oh, they, they had their own little, cool. little temporary housing. They brought in some skilled masons from uh, Scotland in 1793. And John Adams, who was the second president of the United States, was the first president to actually move into the White House in 1797. And when he moved in, it wasn't even completely finished. So they were still working on it when he moved in. Wow. It didn't get finished until like, and they, well, we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. George Washington, obviously, was the first president of the United States, but his office was in New York and Philly, because if you remember, Philly was originally the nation's capital before it was moved to Washington, D.C., I did not know that. Yeah, because that's where the Declaration was signed. That's where the Constitution was. Oh well, like, maybe I didn't know ben that. Franklin, yeah. so everybody lived there, and uh, we got to see some of those fine places. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yes, we did. In 1800, officially, Washington D.C. was named the nation's capital, and that's when every all the other national businesses moved there. Mm-hmm. During the War of 1812, the White House was set on fire by the British. The president at that time was James Madison and his family. They were unfortunately forced to move away from the city 
uh, because it had to be rebuilt. Reconstruction started under the original designer, James Holman, and it was completed in 1817, just in time for President James Monroe. I found this interesting that goes along with uh, the construction of the White House uh, and a sign of the times, unfortunately. But until the Civil War, the White House servants were all slaves. No, really. Also, during the early days, the president was personally responsible for all of the White House expenses. So even when they had a function that was like a national function for the um, somebody from another country to come over or to have, you know, just like a, a dinner for whatever, if they had a, a, a ball or a function or something like that, or uh, even the servants that at, after it was slaves, when they started having regular servants and all that, the president was personally responsible for those expenses. Why, though? That's just the way it was. That didn't change until 1909 when Congress decided to uh, uh, provide these expenses for the White House. So before 1909, the president paid for all the staff and, you know, the chefs. I don't see anything wrong with that. that stuff. Do you? No, but I'm, you know, I think there are certain perks that should come with being a president and you shouldn't have to pay your staff. That should be, they should be government employees. No, I mean, with that, I agree. So... I mean, I definitely don't agree that it should have been slaves back in the day. No, that's, I don't agree with that either. But, um, you know, if, if there is going to be payment, I think that's going to... But I definitely don't think if the if the, if the the White House held an event where the Queen of England came over or uh, another country to discuss world events, I don't think the president should have to foot the bill for that either. Well, man, just order a bunch of Papa John pizza. <laughs> that's what they should do. <laughs> Here, my queen, pepperoni and sausage. <laughs> sausage. <laughs> the White House got its first refrigerator in 1845. Oh, my gosh. How exciting. It got its first gas lights also in 1845. So gas lights and a refrigerator, that's a step up. Wow. What year do you think they got electricity in the White House? 1900. It's close. 1891. Oh, after Abraham Lincoln's assassination, Mary Todd Lincoln was so distraught that she spent five weeks in her room just grieving. During those five weeks, several unscrupulous people took advantage of the situation and they pretty much looted the White House of several valuables. So people were jerks back then. Oh, let, yeah. Let the lady mourn. When President Roosevelt lived there, he converted several, this is, I guess I should say Teddy Roosevelt, not um, his brother, Franklin yeah. Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. But when Teddy Roosevelt was there, he actually converted several of the second floor offices into bedrooms. Why? Because he had six kids. And apparently there weren't enough rooms oh, <laughs> for six kids there. He also had a, a bunch of cool pets. They had some exotic pets. They had, oh, they had raccoons. They had badgers, snakes, and even had a bear. Like a not a stuffed one? No, they they had real living exotic animals in the house. They had a bear in the house. I don't know if the bear was in the house or like kept outside somewhere, but they kept all kinds of exotic animals there at the White House. Well, good for him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he was also like he was like the fun president. Like he said that there was nothing. He's to the point where. He didn't mind changing these things mm-hmm. into 
bedrooms and stuff like that. Yeah. And he also said that there was no room in that White House that was so important that it couldn't be a playroom for the kids. Well, there you go. That was his mentality on it. That's perfect. And that's the way they all should be. So you always hear about the West Wing of the Mm -hmm. White House. That was constructed in 1902. And then the East Wing was built in 1942. This was basically to give more office space Mm -hmm. to the White House when they added these on here. The last time any major changes were made to the White House was in the 1960s, and that was done by Jacqueline Kennedy. She was like a creme de la creme when it came to decorating. I mean, she knew art. Oh, she that's was a, awesome. She, was, she knew beauty. She she just had a knack for that kind of stuff. So she pretty much like redid the entire White House with artwork and stuff like that. Well, that's, dang on, that's a big uh, thing to take on. Oh, yeah, yeah. 1.5 million visitors visit the White House every year. I'd like to go see the White House, wouldn't I you? I would, too. And you know, you know how that all started. When Thomas Jefferson, see, I don't even have this written down, but when Thomas Jefferson became president, which he was the, is it the third or fourth president? I'm drawing a blank right off. Right off. Third, he was third president. So when Thomas Jefferson became president, he said, hey, everybody who wants to come visit the White House daily should be able to come visit the White House. And he made that the rule. And every successor after him has kept that rule, except for during wartime, obviously. Well, yeah. But during peacetime, every president has kept that, which is why you can still go to the White House today. Well, that is great. Yeah, that's definitely a trip I would like to uh, take, for sure. In 1995, the section of the Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House was closed off due to terrorism concerns. Yeah. That section has become a really popular spot for people skating and pedestrians walking up and down. The White House is a member of the National Capital Park System and was actually accredited as a museum in 1988. And a lot of that has to do with the artwork and stuff that, yeah, that was Kennedy branded. put in mm-hmm. there. It was, uh, like I said, she, she's got a lot of historical artifacts that she put in there. Very, Very cool. nice. I'm sure most of you are saying, and I get it. Let's get to the ghost stuff. <laughs> well, if that's you, then you're rude. I should just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I aim to please, so let's do it. <laughs> let's start with a story about Harry S. Truman. Tracy, what does the S stand for for Harry S. Truman? Um, I'm not sure. S. Truman. You know, that's the only way I've ever heard it is Harry S. Truman. I don't think I've ever heard of a middle name. That's because the S is just S. There is oh, doesn't no stand, S doesn't stand for anything. Well, what it's the just heck? Harry S. Truman. Why? I have no idea why. That's interesting. So this story goes way back to 1946. President Truman went to bed. It was around 9 o'clock. It's about six hours later, he hears three knocks on the bedroom door. I would do that, but Ninja would bark like bark. crazy. Yeah. Just, he, <laughs> I'll just pretend you hear it. He jumps up. Yeah, picture you're hearing Tony Orlando and Don. <laughs> Our younger listeners will have no clue what yeah, we're Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he jumped up, puts on his bathrobe, opens the door, and much as a surprise, there's nobody there. He left, goes out in the hallway, nobody there. He goes and he looks in his wife's room, which is best Truman. He looks in his daughter's room, and yep, his daughter and wife had separate rooms. <laughs> what? They didn't even sleep in the same bedroom? This is 1940s. I mean, I guess maybe that was the deal. I don't know. Oh, wow. They had separate bedrooms. 
And there was nothing in either one of their rooms. So, I mean, when you think about it, I guess being president does have its advantages. <laughs> uh, that was low. And his wife was out of town at this time, which is why she wasn't in the room. So he was in, <laughs> he was there all by himself. Anyways, he writes a letter to his wife and he says, by the way, this letter is in the archives of the National Truman, of the Truman Library. So you can actually see this that he wrote about ghosts. He goes back to bed. He hears footsteps in his wife's bedroom. Now, he had locked his door when he went back to bed, but he left her door wide open. Mm -hmm. He got out of bed again, opened the door, nobody was there. He said in this letter that he wrote to his wife, he says, the damn place is haunted. Sure as shooting. (laughs) Sure as shooting. Anyway, he said that uh, the direct or the Secret Service said that not even a watchman was up there at that hour. Well, how long was she gone for? Oh, I don't know. I mean, why did he find it? Uh, why did he find a reason to write her a letter when he could have just told her when she came back? Don't you think that's odd? I don't know. She must have been gone for a while. Oh. He said uh, in the letter, "You and Maggie had better come back and protect me before one of these ghosts carry me off." <gasps> Oh, my gosh. He was really scared. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was being sarcastic. No. So, obviously, we started with this story, but the White House has several unsettling stories of ghosts and spirits. Former leaders and staff uh, all have seen things, and they've all told several stories, and we're going to get into some of them. But, see, that would be so exciting to me to see what kind of spirits come up from the past. I mean, because that was way back in the day anyway. Yeah. That was in the 40s. So many will say that the White House is the most famous haunted house in the country. And, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, everybody knows the White House. Mm-hmm. Most people even know that it's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah. Name another house that's famous that you know like that. You know, there's just not that many. Roseanne's house. What's her address? Oh, no, that you asked me. Okay. I could tell you usually. <laughs> and who's at her Delaware house Street, haunted? huh? Her house ain't haunted. <laughs> Well, you just asked for an address. That's true. <laughs> but I did say it was the most haunted, most well-known haunted house. That's very true. Okay. Some of these sightings have been documented in great detail by newspapers and scholars lending to the credibility of some of these stories. Some of these stories involve a president who appears at the time of crisis when the country is in much need of strong leadership. Some involve a former first lady that's been Doomed to do laundry for, I guess, all eternity. Oh, my gosh. What a horrible, horrible <laughs> thing. One of the tour guides there by the name of Broach. He said Broach? The, Broach. Oh, Broach. <laughs> he said the stories here are some of the most verified stories when it involves ghosts that he, he's ever told. And he has enough stories where he could do a 10-hour tour of nothing but ghost stories Dang from the White God. House. Tracy, have you ever heard of David Burns? No. He's the gentleman that actually sold the land that the White House sits on to the government in May of 1791. It's said that Mr. Burns haunts the Oval Office and has since his death. A reporter during the Truman administration came to the yellow Oval Room that is part of the Oval Office. And he said that 
he was actually standing there and, and he hears a voice behind him kind of whisper and say, I'm Mr. Burns. I'm Mr. Burns. And when I read that, I thought about Mr. Burns from um, The Simpsons. <laughs> Smithers. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Anyways, that's what I was talking about. Anyways, so the reporter told a security guard about the incident, and that kind of freaked him out. So apparently, Mr. Burns in that time was still at the White House, even though he had sold that land back in the 1790s. Oh. I don't know what his beef was, why he would still be there. Yeah. But it almost sounds like he had some kind of a problem. In 1862, Abraham Lincoln lost his son, Willie, to typhoid fever at the age of 11 years old. I'm sorry, Abe. Mary Todd Lincoln was grief-stricken, and she remained in her room for several weeks, just like she did after Abe's death, uh, grieving. Now, Abraham and Mary Todd Lincoln both claimed that they had seen Willie on regular visits that he made to the White House after his death. Oh, that's good. Mary Todd claims that she saw her son's ghost at the foot of her uh, foot of her bed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even aware that he had a son that he lost during his administration. I did not know this either. Of course, some of the former presidents still hang around as well. People have reported Andrew Jackson swearing in other rooms. Swearing? Yes. Like, oh. <laughs> some have heard the soothing sounds of Thomas Jefferson playing the violin. Well, that's nice. Back to Andrew Jackson, though. His bedroom, while he is an office, was actually a room that's now called the Rose Room. It's believed to be one of the most haunted rooms in the White House. So we told you the the Truman story to start the show, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He knew something was up pretty early into his presidency about the hauntings and stuff like that. Just two months into the first term, he told his wife that I sit here in this old house and work on foreign affairs, read reports, and work on uh, speeches, all while listening to the ghost walk up and down the hallway and even right in here into the study. The floors pop and the drapes move back and forth. I can just imagine old Andrew Jackson and Teddy Roosevelt having an argument over Franklin Roosevelt. That's what he said in, in <laughs> one of his letters. Man, how crazy would that be? When you're in there trying to be all serious and all this stuff about foreign affairs or whatever, and here they come stomping up the stairs, and maybe they're just in there to see he makes the right decision about things or something, you yeah, know? maybe so. So the most famous of all presidential ghosts is, of course, Abraham Lincoln. Abe. I love Abraham Lincoln. Most people have probably heard the uh, famous encounter he had with Winston Churchill, but we'll we'll tell you about it in a second if you ha- if you haven't. But after Lincoln was assassinated in 1865, Mary thinks that he returned to the White House. Just this time, he was in spirit form. Calvin Coolidge's wife Grace told her account to a magazine that she actually saw Lincoln looking out the window of the room that was his office back when Calvin Coolidge was president. Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands, she actually came to the White House and was staying, and she was sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom in 1942. She heard a knock on the door. She gets up, she opens the door, and 
she's standing face to face with President Lincoln. Awesome. I don't think she thought so because she fainted. Oh, she did? Yes. Well, that's silly. Then she didn't even get to enjoy that time with him. No. <laughs> so back to the Winston Churchill story. So here, it's it's not it's a short story, but it's still a good one. So I, I'll go ahead and tell it. This was in 1940. So Winston Churchill was the British prime minister at the time. Very famous, obviously. He's staying in the Lincoln bedroom. And Churchill was in the bathroom taking a bath. Mm-hmm. Nice hot bath. He gets out. He lights a cigar. He walks into the room with nothing but a cigar and completely naked and sees Abraham Lincoln standing right next to the fireplace. (laughs) Well, that's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Buho naked. So then he looks at President Lincoln and says, good evening, Mr. President. Uh, You seem to have me at a disadvantage. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But that's. That's uh, the story, the famous story that uh, Churchill told about uh, his encounter. I wonder if Abe said anything back. I don't know. That would have been so funny. And he probably would have said, I knew it. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> most people, obviously, find Lincoln as the most famous, but he's also the most seen ghost in the White House. Because he's a good man. Well, that and most people think that he also carries the biggest burden as well. This is because he is the president who often shows up during times of crisis when he feels like Mm -hmm. that there may be some extra leadership help needed. He tends to pop up. It's just he just kind of roams up and down the second floor hallways. And sometimes he stands by the windows. Other times he knocks on doors. Ronald Reagan was quoted in 1989 in a Washington Post article saying that his dog would not even go into the Lincoln bedroom, even though it would go into every other room of the White House. Oh, my gosh. I love Ronald Reagan, too. I did, too. One of Eleanor Roosevelt's employees by the name of Mary Eban said that she saw Lincoln sitting on her bed and he was pulling up his boots. Like he was, you know, putting them on, and he was putting. Oh, he's them putting them on. I thought you yeah. said he was pulling them off. No, but he, anyway, he that's awesome. She screamed so loud that Secret Service ran up to the room. <laughs> so, well, I wonder what they said. Dang on it! I wish there was a fly on the wall. <laughs> They'd be like, "Girl, you be tripping." In 1932, Eleanor Roosevelt was talking to a group in San Antonio, Texas, about her life in the White House. And she said that she felt a presence that was with her every time she was in a room that several other presidents had worked in. She said she had a constant feeling that there was someone else in the room. But this was not a human spirit. She said, this spirit would stand outside of the room and just bark. Oh, lucky. I'm assuming she's talking about a dog. <laughs> Well, you never At least know. I hope so. so. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got the the ghost of of Anne Surratt. Her mother was Mary Surratt, and that name may not be super familiar, but Mary was connected to the the death of Abraham Lincoln. So somehow she was a part of it. I, th- I think she might have helped hide John Wilkes Booth after but she was connected somehow to the assassination and she was later hanged for her crime supposedly her daughter Anne goes and she knocks on various doors of the white house and then she pleads to whoever opens the door to uh release her mother 
So it's like she's trapped back at the time oh, that her man. mom was getting ready to be hanged. Wow. That's sad. Well, you shouldn't do those bad things. So you can't really have presidents that haunt the White House without having a few first ladies that haunt the place as well. I mean, somebody has to cook and do, you know, do the housekeeping and stuff. No? I thought that's what they had maids for. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Please don't send me hate mail. Please. Mm-hmm. It was a bad joke. <laughs> to the best of anyone's knowledge, there are two first ladies who still make the White House their home. So we mentioned that John Adams was the first president to live in the White House. His wife was Abigail Adams. She would hang the sheets in the East Room to dry after she got through washing them. Mm-hmm. There have been reports of seeing Abigail in the vicinity of the East Room ever since her death. And she's always walking around, according to the people who've seen her, with her arms stretched out as if she's holding clean linen. Oh, wonder why she died. Huh? I wonder how come she died. Most of these people died of old age. Just of old age? Oh. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the wife of James Madison. Tracy, do you know what her name is? And this is uh, this is a famous one if you think about it. James Madison's wife. And you'll probably know her from something else other than being... Holly. <laughs> no, definitely not Holly Madison. <laughs> though I think he would have enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. Um, Just close. Wait. Uh, oh, my gosh. I know I know this. You're closer than you realize. Hannah. No. Dolly. Dolly I Madison. knew that. Daggone it. <laughs> she likes to spend her time doing a little more rewarding work, we'll say. She likes to garden. Staff members have said that they've seen Dolly Madison uh, during the Woodrow Wilson administration. They were planning on moving the Rose Garden, and uh, as they started to do this, they started seeing her ghost show up in the Rose Garden, uh-huh. so they decided not to move it. Yeah. And they left it where it was. Well, she- I mean, she worked on those for years and years. Why would you disturb that? I also remember that her and her husband James were president when the house was set on fire in the War of 1812. So they're the ones that had to move out, remember? Oh, yeah. Dang it, I'm so mad because I didn't think of Dolly. Dang it. (laughs) And you said Holly. I know it. They moved to a place called the Octagon House that was on the corner of 18th Street and New York Avenue. So in a sense, that was the temporary White House and that place is haunted, too. It supposedly has paranormal activity, but it's from, you know, like I said, a different source. It's not White House stuff. Mm-hmm. These occurrences are linked to the deaths of three different women. Two of the three were daughters of a really wealthy man who built that house. Now, this is a very odd story, but think about this. According to newspaper articles, so this did happen, both of the daughters at different times fell to their death from the exact same staircase after arguing with their father about the man that they were going to marry. So how about that for a coincidence? Two daughters, separate times, arguing with their dad at the staircase, and both of them fell down Mm. and died. Tragedy. Would you believe that there's a demon cat? A demon cat? Yeah. This one really is not as much in the White House. Just roaming around. But it's well, it's in a bunch of the Capitol type buildings. And oh, stuff. okay. So 
the cat haunts all the government buildings in Washington, Washington D.C. And the story goes that back a few hundred years, the cats were brought into the basement tunnels of the Capitol building to kill rats and mice. Legend says that this cat never left and it stays in the basement crypt of the Capitol building that was originally intended to be the burial chambers for George Washington. But wow. I guess that didn't happen. Didn't happen, yeah. You think George Washington's hair was really like that? No, it was a powdered wig. Oh. That's what most of them people had back then was powdered well, wig. But why would you wear a powdered wig? I have no idea. And it didn't do a thing Well, I think because back then, I think it was a hygiene thing. I think because they didn't wash their hair and it was just easier to put a wig on. Why you not wash your hair? Bathing wasn't exactly a strong point back in the 1700s. Oh. A lot of people felt that bathing was un- unhealthy back then. It's because you washed off all your healthy germs and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So you needed those germs to help stay alive, and you took a bath, you got rid of them. Okay. So that was the thought concept. All right, last but not least, I have a story about something called The Thing. And I thought, you know what? We're at the end of our 200th episode. We should probably bring in a third person and make this last segment one for the record books. So I've got Tracy, obviously, here. And I thought, well, who can this third person be? And there was really only one choice, obviously. Uh, please welcome back to the show, Mr. Ricky Graninger, my first co-host of Hillbilly Horror Stories. What's up, Rick? Hey, Jerry, Tracy, what's going on, guys? Hey, good to hear your voice. <laughs> good to hear you guys. Thank well, you. hear you all the time, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but but Last time we talked to you in person was uh, at Walmart, right, as all this pandemic stuff was going down, and uh, you made some lewd comment about wearing a mask, and you'd kiss some guy that was walking about 10 feet from us, and he heard you, and I thought he, he looked pretty surprised at why we were talking about kissing him. Yeah, I remember, and I do remember that conversation, but now that I think about it, I can't remember why either. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were talking about baby wipes and, and uh, toilet paper, and I think and I think that's what it had to do with it was when it's when the toilet paper shortage was going on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I can't remember for the life of me. Maybe I'd kiss him if I could have wiped my ass back then. I don't know. We got toilet paper now. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now we're worried about pork. <laughs> All right, Ricky. So let me tell you about this. The, the thing, as it was called, this was a mysterious teenage ghost during the Taft presidential years. This gentleman, huh. by the way, of by the name of Major Archie Butt, B-U-T-T, <laughs> he wrote in 1911, it seems that the White House is haunted. It's the only written account of the ghost known as The Thing. I don't know why they just named it The Thing, but they did. <laughs> that would be a Probably ugly kid. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. It was in the summertime, and apparitions started appearing to the servants of Will, William Howard Taft. The news got to Major Archie Butt, and he was a military, uh, I guess we could say, aide to the president. He was also like a personal secretary. And he didn't really like the idea of ghosts. He didn't believe in ghosts. But he felt like that since this thing had been appearing and scaring the staff for about a week now, that he wanted to go ahead and look into it. He even wrote about the ghost in a letter to his sister, Clara. The story he told Clara 
is that there was no doubt there was a ghost there. And this is actually one of the biggest question marks for White House scholars as far as White House history that is even told still today. Wow. Huh. So this thing apparently was felt more often than it was seen. Taft's housekeeper reported that the servants told stories of feeling the thing appear at a, like, given like a, a slight pressure on the shoulders as if it was a curious kid who was trying to look over their shoulder and see what was going on, what they were doing. But told the housekeeper that the ghost has no sensor of touch, so they were completely wrong, at least, at least not a self-respecting ghost of which he had heard, but the servants agreed to disagree with him. How are you going to say a, self, a self-respecting ghost wouldn't do that? What's, <laughs> what the hell's up with that guy? What's that even mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's how we're going to wrap up the show. Ricky, tell us everybody what you've been doing since you left the show. Just working and dealing with all these kids. I got them getting older and moving out here now. So I got uh, one daughter who's uh, she's engaged to be married. And, oh, wow. You know, yeah, same old stuff. <laughs> not not too much changes. <laughs> and how many how many kids do you have? All is it five girls? Five daughters. Yeah. My God. Yep. <laughs> Nine to twenty-one. And they're all very beautiful. Yes, they are. Well, thank you. I appreciate Fortunately, that. they take after their mom. <laughs> Thankful for that. <laughs> so, Ricky, do you, quick question, because, like, your family, you're from Maryland, and you've got family in, in, in that area. You've got family in Florida. Do you plan on hanging uh-huh. around here, or do you plan on eventually moving out? Nah, we're, uh, we're actually thinking about buying a house coming up here next year or two. We, uh, you know, we do, uh, we go vacations and visit family all over and everything. It's just, it just seems like, you know, we've been here so long and we don't hate it. So. Well, as long as you don't hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, we, we put some roots down everything. So, you know, figure it's time to try to own something of our own. Good. That's exciting. Yeah, we definitely hope for the best of you. And like I said, I'm I'm super excited to be able to get you back on the show. And we'll have to get you on a little more in the upcoming future. Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever you want me to stop by, I'll stop by, Jerry. Yeah. We you know still that. we still have comments. People missing you for sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. It's fun, but uh, yeah, I definitely. You know, I wouldn't. You know. I wouldn't change it because uh, Tracy, your 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 sweetheart on the show, everybody everybody knows that. Well, thank you. That's very <laughs> sweet of you, honey. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, buddy. I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Tracy, Jerry, y'all take it easy. Thanks for having me on. Love you guys. I love you too, honey. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Uh-huh. Bye bye. So no, the sound quality wasn't exactly the same in that last segment, but it was hard for uh, we were trying to Tracy and I was trying to share a mic, so <laughs> it sounded a little bit distant. But it was worth it to be able to have Ricky on. He couldn't come in person because of the pandemic, so yeah, we couldn't uh, do it the way we normally would have. But it yeah. was fun hearing from Ricky. It sure was. Okay, I've teased it long enough. We have our special guest. And uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's in the introduction. So you guys just have fun with this one because I know you will. 
All right, guys, 200th episode. We had to go big or go home. Everybody said you got to get a big name, and we scoured around, and I think we knocked it out of the park because I have a surprise on the phone, Mr. Nick Groff. Nick, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. How you been? How's everything? I've been good. We got to pal around a little bit at CryptidCon last year. Uh, looking forward to seeing you this year. Then Lee, who was on a couple weeks ago, who actually puts that event on, he wanted everybody to know that they've changed the dates this year. It was supposed to be in August, but with everything going on with COVID, now they've set a new date for December 5th and 6th in Lexington, Kentucky. You're going to be there, correct? I'm going to try to make it. Hopefully, all this craziness in the world stops. But yes, CryptidCon is an amazing event. I love going to it. I mean, just the people come from all over the world and just, it, there's so many great people like yourself and other people I love communicating with, talking with different backgrounds and whatever their beliefs are. And really, that's what it's all about is just sharing experiences from Bigfoot to aliens to whatever it is, paranormal ghosts, doesn't really make a difference. As long as it's weird and interesting, I'm there. What I was telling people before, when we went to CryptoCon last year, we kind of brought you up and I thought the most incredible thing about you, you were definitely the biggest name out there. Some people would probably, you know, they if they're into something else, they might say somebody else. But to me, you were the biggest name out there and you were so personable you were literally all over the place, walking around, talking to anybody that, that wanted to talk to you, taking pictures. And that says a lot about a person. So I just wanted to say I appreciate you being so kind to your fans. I appreciate it. I guess people realize really quickly when they hang out with me that I'm very hyperactive, so I can't sit still for too long. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I love going around and just meeting people. I don't know. What's the point if I'm just sitting there all blah? I just feel like there's a when you have a great room filled with interesting people i want to gain knowledge and the only way to do that in this world to evolve as a human being is to communicate right so it's like i don't know everything i want to talk to you about you know your podcast show i want to talk to you about cryptids i want to talk to travis walton who is there about aliens and ufo and space and time and all sorts of interesting stuff or or talk to cliff and bobo about bigfoot i don't know i just think that there's too much information for me just to be sitting there i'm just trying to do another event or something i don't know i'm, I'm always interested in learning new things from different people so that's kind of why i do it to be honest with you and i love meeting new people it's part of life awesome let's go back a bit obviously i have to bring up the fact that you started ghost adventures tell me yeah. a little bit about how that came to be i mean how did how did you and zach and, and aaron meet how did it get turned into a television show just give me a little bit of a background on that yeah absolutely so you know when i was a really young kid i was actually foremost interested in extraterrestrials space ufos all sorts of interesting stuff like that. I was that weird kid at like 13 that had a map in my room unfolding it going, I'm going to Area 51. My dad would be like, what are you, crazy? So fast forward in time, I went to UNLV College. And during the spring break, I had my chance to go take my roommate's car and drive up to haunted mining towns, go to the little town of Rachel, as close as I could get to Area 51. And then I discovered Virginia City, Nevada. And it was an amazing historical town with so much like ghost stories and everything. Everybody had like a story to tell, you know, it just fascinated me since early age. So it was kind of like a passionate, just hobby in a sense, but also an interest in the mysteries and the adventure of all that realm of different weird topics. So one day I was sitting in my little apartment and I was watching this weird news report from the Sally House. I think it was back in 2004 or something. And the news did this whole report on the Sally House. And I was watching. I was like, wow, this is so weird. The guy was getting scratched on, on the news camera. 
cars and stuff <laughs> like that. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like this documentary they were doing, the news reporters. And it really intrigued me further to say, all right, if something is actually really doing this, this is the news, you know, documenting it. It's back in that day. You know, yeah, I think it was, was uh, not big. Sightings was the one who did the uh, the big show on them. Yeah, I th- yeah, I forget when, but I mean, really what happened was is it triggered something for me. I've always been fascinated in anything paranormal and supernatural. But I think that really pushed me beyond to say, you know what, I want to go. I want to search it out, you know, and I want to look and see if ghosts actually exist. Back then, that was my my only knowledge and only like sense to try to understand it. It was interesting. So I met Aaron uh, when I was in college, I think around 2001, 2000. Yeah, I think 2001 or 2002. We became really good friends. And the reason I met Aaron is because he snuck into one of my college classes. <laughs> he, he, uh, um, him and I were the only two talking to the teacher at the end of the, our uh, our class, right? And the teacher goes to him, hey, you want to make film? You want to do something in like TV or whatever? Talk to this guy. And it was me. Because at the time I was making a bunch of little horror uh, short films and I was entering one of my first movies, Malevolence, into Vegas Film Festival with Dennis Hopper when he was alive running it. And uh, Aaron and I became really good friends and we were making all sorts of fun videos and stuff like that. I, I, I worked construction and bought like a camera and knew how to push the red little button and learn to edit <laughs> myself. But I was always interested in the paranormal. So then uh, 2004, the reason I met Zach is because of a wedding. And when I was getting mar- married at the time, not anymore, I'm not married anymore, but at the time he was my uh, my wedding DJ. So I hired Zach to be, he was Vegas Voltage, hired him to be the wedding DJ and we hit it off. And one night I was watching that that Sally House documentary uh, the news was doing and I called those guys up. Uh, first, I called Zach up because I was hiring him to shoot second camera wedding videos with me because I was trying to make extra money on the side, like coming out of college. I was broke, you know, I had no money and I was making college uh, wedding videos. I was overqualified to get a job. I worked at like Comp USA for like 10 bucks an hour or something crazy. And, and I wanted to go out so bad and look for ghosts. Like that's all I had in my head. <laughs> so... <laughs> I called I called him up and I said, "Hey man, do you want to go look for ghosts?" And he's like, "What?" And I was like, "I have a camera, I have a recorder." Let's go look for ghosts. I could probably scoop up some money, get a night vision camera or something, whatever else we need. You know, at that time I didn't know what we needed. He he was like, "All right, yeah, let's do it." And um, and then he tells me a little story he had back in Michigan or whatever and about an experience. And I say, "Cool, I've been fascinated all my life." I started digging, like I started explain it like I'm explaining it now. And basically I said, hey, I know another guy who shoots camera. He's my good friend and he's really funny. And that was Aaron. He was unsure of Aaron. He never met Aaron, but I brought all those guys together. And basically we hit the haunted the haunted roads going up to Tonopah and ended up in Virginia City again because I told him I knew all about Virginia City and, and I wanted to go back up there and explore it more with us. And let's just film everything. I'm like, let's just film our whole trip. Let's film haunted places. Let's film everything. Who knows? So we we didn't intend it to be a film. We didn't intend it to be a TV show. We didn't intend it to be really anything. I think we didn't really know what we were doing at the time. <laughs> I think we were just going out as three dudes. What you see is what you get. It's raw. 
we're filming everything. It, it's interesting, right? Because I think sometimes when you when you do stuff like that, it becomes some of the most unique documentaries or unique programming or content or whatever you want to call it at the end of the day. When you do stuff like that, it becomes some of the most interesting things that um, at the end of the day, you can sit back and say, wow, this turned into an incredible narrative, right? So at the time, I didn't even know what a documentary was and we just filmed everything. And then basically what happened was is I get back and I started going through all the mini DV tapes at the time. There was like tons of them. And I realized we captured some like weird stuff that I had no clue what it was. It took me a couple, you know, million times to watch it over and over again. I say, well, what is this? <laughs> this is a weird thing that we captured. You know what I mean? So eventually what I did is I just started molding it into a narrative. I learned that Zach talked way more than I did. So just <laughs> started to use him as a narrative to tell the story of us going off and what we discovered and what we captured and really started telling the story from our perspective of, you know, our journey and stuff. And it kind of just molded into what it was, the documentary ghost adventures the original documentary and i was sitting there in my apartment i said guys let's call it adventures like something adventures it's maybe ghost ghost adventures is that what we call it and then basically i formed the title and that's what stuck that's basically what happened then long story short i got it into the hands of um in agent out of la who basically i randomly called hollywood agency books <laughs> and i i would just randomly call these people because it was all over the news i was excited i'm like the world needs to see this we captured something amazing and groundbreaking you know i was really like i was a young kid and i was just like really pumped up for what we captured and how amazing it was you know i really believed like this is something incredible like we need to show everybody and basically uh sci-fi ended up picking it up and did huge on like a friday night and basically long story short in 2008 it got the documentary got turned into what is now known as ghost adventures on travel channel the reality show so in 2008 i did that for 10 seasons 2008 to 2014 or 13 13 14 around that time departed so yeah i mean it was my first baby you can pretty much say blood sweat and tears all the way all the time and man it was just an incredible you know journey how it all started i'll be honest with you i, I used to watch the show religiously back when you you were on it, especially <laughs> yeah. in the early days, and not so much since you left. Uh, you know, I'm very vocal on this show. I'm I'm just not thrilled with Zach's style. I'm more of a traditionalist that, that thinks you're a little more respectful and you don't provoke. I don't know Zach as a person, obviously, so I have nothing against him as a human being. But as an investigator, I just don't don't agree with his style, and it irritates me. So like I said, I'm very vocal on the show about it, and I felt like it was only right to at least be forthcoming since I got you on the show and you started the show to at least be honest with you that, you know, hey, that's that's been my thoughts uh, basically since you left the show. But I loved the show when you were on it, and I've loved everything you've done ever since. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you really don't know people until you really get to know them, and that was when I met him. That's how our friendship built through basically ghost adventures man like we didn't know each other prior to that which is interesting you know when you start to get to know someone and you're traveling a lot with them and you're hanging out with them and you're doing all these things on and off camera and it's just interesting over time i think people everybody has different perspectives everyone has different personalities and whatever it is and i just i just always remember where i came came from I'm just this kid from new hampshire i i'm very passionate in any project i do anything i get involved in or anybody I have like a really cool connection with. You know what I mean? It's just how I am. Um, but I'm also very humbled 
because I've been humbled by the industry multiple times. <laughs> I just, I'm not, I'm no BS. Like I am what I am. And it's either you like me or you don't. I, I have no ego. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I loved Ghost Adventures in the beginning. I loved the three of us, just a couple of guys running around in some amazing locations, historical, like who gets to go into Winchester Mystery House, right? Get locked in and nobody's with us. <laughs> you know, the first thing I did when I did that, because I've been there multiple times growing up as a kid because I was born right near San Jose, California. And I used to go there when I was a kid. And my grandfather lived right around the corner for a while. But I remember when I did Ghost Adventures there, I was like, this is amazing. They leave us in there. Like, who leaves three young 20-year-olds inside this location? <laughs> and, like, you have million-dollar chandelier. You know, the first thing I said to the guys, I go, all right, forget Paranormal Investigating for a second and all this stuff and whatever these cameras. I go, let's play hide-and-go-seek for an hour. Go. And I just <laughs> ran off in the dark. They're like, what the heck? But I remember, like, Aaron finding me, like, in this hidden seance room and Zach's over here and it was just that was that was what I missed I think sometimes what we forget as we get older is as people are watching all these shows or whatever you know it's like we forget to be human man we forget to have fun and laugh and it shouldn't be all serious all the time but I think it is what it is and I just remember those times for what it's worth and I remember the great times and document some really cool evidence and some, I feel like I walked away with some personal experiences that evolved me to become more mature. And I'll admit, like I was that stupid kid, man, like running around the dark going, come and get me ghost. Like, it's like you walk in a place and then you start to realize, man, people once lived here. People were, were innocent. People had emotions. They died. That energy and that emotions and the conscious thought and all that electricity is still lingering. And it's like, can you imagine walking into a place where patients or people or a house and these people are still living in the present time, but we're, but those people to us are in the past, but they're still happening right now. But here we are in the present time and we're bombarding this. Now what we feel is an abandoned location or we feel is some decrepit place or it has this haunted story, but it happens. Those people are still in that reality and we're coming in and we're like, we're, we're kind of like, um, uh, taint, like have this negative aura about us and we're kind of tainting the environment with that kind of you know putting out those those thoughts or attacks you know what i mean so it's kind of like a flip side you got to put yourself how would you like it if you were in your house and somebody rushed in your house and started yelling at you or screaming at you and stuff like that like how are you gonna react (laughs) (laughs) so that's kind of how i look at things that's how i have looked at things as i got older and evolved and became more mature and thought outside the box i mean i'd be naive and stupid if i didn't you know i'll be the first to admit i was that young kind of like let's go and you know sometimes i'm still i'm like that to a certain extent but i'm just not i'm just more calm collective and i don't think there's any sense of i don't know i try not to um get crazy overdrive I let my emotions take the best of me i guess is the best words to use it's just sometimes i just want to go in experience things document with validation with equipment but not be so heavily like bombarded from that sense of everything is negative the world's ending apocalypse is happening and hell is coming up to eat us that's fair <laughs> you know enough what I'm saying? <laughs> let's talk about some projects that you did after ghost adventures one of my favorite was ghost stalkers which had Chad Lindbergh and John E.L. Tenney. How did those two get matched up? That was me, <laughs> the paranormal matchmaker. No, I, it's it's funny because I love John Tenney, man. Oh, the guy is so knowledgeable. I've learned so much 
from him just by talking and communicating with him. Like, I really, the guy to death, he's a really nice, nice individual, super smart. I just had this idea one day. I don't know. It's like, you know how you go through like paranormal investigations, then you start to realize like in your life, it feels a little redundant. Mm -hmm. And I just was starting to be like, man, how can I be, how can we do something different? I guess I was just, I want to know more answers. I want to think outside the box. I want to discover something new. That's like just the point I was getting at. I had all these ideas and I, I really wanted to see what it was like to put someone in a location where they're just by themselves back then. And John just was like a world of like interesting information. So he's had decades of investigating and Chad was a really, really good friend of mine. And I loved his charisma and I loved to like his personality and how he was as a person. And, and I think what struck me with both of them is they both had near death experiences. And I think that was like conceptually kind of how I sparked um, my interest to bring those guys together. So one has all this knowledge and has a history of doing this for, for as long as I could think. And then Chad was still new at investigating, super nervous, very timid and scared. And he, he was unsure, like going to locations, like it was frightening to him. So it was interesting to me to see the two combinations come together and basically see like one reaction to the next and see how much more evidence would be documented based on the two personalities. So it was really raw. It was like the raw show I've ever shot, to be honest with you, besides the documentary back in the day in season one and two and three or four of Ghost Adventures. It was just like them dragging cameras in and <laughs> like that was it. It was really cool to see the stuff that they captured. So that's kind of how Ghost Stalkers formed. And it was never actually supposed to be called Ghost Stalkers. It was supposed to be called Death Walkers back then. And I was fighting hard for that title, but uh, Network chose the other one. <laughs> so <laughs> They kind of get to make the rules, don't they? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I fight hard for stuff. I mean, I did for Ghost Ventures uh, big time. Back in the day, They, I remember sitting in a board room meeting, you know, when we first, first got told we were going to be picked up and they were like, hey, camera crew and this and that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, it's three people. Our cameras, what you see is what you get. Why do we need all this other stuff? We don't need everything else. Like, I know how to hit the red button, you know? <laughs> but you just you really have to stick to your like what your beliefs are sometimes, you know? It's it's easy to do what's easy, I guess, and kind of fall into like the motion of everybody else. But I don't know. I just, man, like I'm at a point where I just want to be groundbreaking. Not, I don't know. You know, it's like when you look at people like Tesla, you look at people like Einstein, you look at all these individuals who are, are legends. They're known for something great after they're gone. And they're still affecting, you know, the world in a sense, right? Like, I'd rather be remembered for something like that. Obviously, my IQ is not like theirs, but <laughs> I mean, I would love to be remembered for somebody who ripple affects this universe and not just a positive sense, but stuff that's remembered, you know, in an impact way, like a, a way where people can evolve as human beings. Because I feel like if we're not evolving, if we're not communicating, if we're not like, taking the next steps in life, then like, what's What's the purpose? You know what I mean? Might like, as well just go back to caveman days. You sound like Tenny. So you sound like. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's rubbing off on me. Maybe he is. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Paranormal Lockdown. I have to say, when you talk about groundbreaking, and, and I know this is not the level that you're, you were just talking about, but the concept of Paranormal Lockdown, you, Katrina, 72 hours in the same place, that was something nobody was doing. And the fact that 
it was the two of you and you were both be at different locations. You'd be upstairs, she'd be downstairs. Or That concept I thought was genius and a much needed transition from what the traditional ghost hunting shows were out there. Yeah, I agree. So that was my exact thinking when I rolled off of Ghost Ranchers and I, I really wanted to push the boundaries. I, it's like going back to redundancy, right? I was going through the redundancy of u- using like bait, just different equipment. For the time we started, it was amazing, but I felt like it became redundant. I felt like it was almost like pseudoscience, you know, most equipment is in that sense when you get to the paranormal generics of stuff. But I was just like, man, as a logical thinker to balance it off and to validate some of these experiences. And if I'm really going to try to document it, discover something new i need i need to like stay at the locations longer than just a night or a few hours or whatever the case is i i actually my first original idea was a little wild i want to uh live at the location for the entire month that's how i actually was first coming up (laughs) that's what i was presenting to um uh, the networks and stuff like that when they were asking me and they thought I was a little crazy. It turned into, okay, we have all this footage. It was like seven terabytes of footage in just four days because we were filming on um, the whole thing on Red, which is at the time was in 4K when it just was kind of rolling out. And I wanted to look a little deeper into the spectrum. So we were filming the whole thing in all dynamics of light, meaning we were changing the IR sensor uh, with Red cameras, which basically uh, you can see like more light into the aperture and stuff. So if like you walk around the dark it's infrared plus you can see flashlights or light or whatever different colors and stuff like that is let in we were the only ones doing it at the time along with the military uh, that we were working with so i i was pushing all of that and i i just was at a point in my life where i just wanted to discover something new i didn't want to go into disprove or prove in a sense of whatever was happening. I just wanted to discover what is the unknown, that gray area that we call paranormal or whatever we want to define it as. Maybe we just can't comprehend it yet or don't have the advanced technology or don't fully understand it where I can kind of like probe it just a little bit with maybe some new advanced equipment or this or try this experiment, live there longer, stay there for 72 hours, you know, see what it's like from a female's perspective and a male's perspective. So this was all the idea I was throwing to try to like push the paranormal forward, but not just in the general sense. I think I was really just on a journey part of my life to really experience fully a little bit more so what exactly is happening in this vast world we live in. So that's kind of how the concept started and kicked off. Let's talk a little bit about, you made a comment earlier about you don't know a person until you know the person. And one thing I found out very quickly through not knowing you, but meeting you for the first time last year was what a kind heart you have. And we had the privilege to be able to sit next to Mike Couch who is an amputee, and he founded uh, Lost Limbs Foundation, which money he raises from the Rhodes Hotel that he owns up in Indiana from all kinds of... Because he, he has people come in and do investigations there, and all that money goes to Lost Limbs Foundation. Yeah. He is an incredible, incredible person. And we were fascinated and spent most of our time at Crypticon talking to him every chance we could because he's just an amazing individual and very inspiring. But you two have a fantastic relationship. And I remember at one point you came in, kind of surprised him and grabbed Mike and put him on your shoulders and it took off and shot a (laughs) video. Because we posted that video all over the place because we were in the video in the background. So it's like, you know, and then we start finding out through talking to Mike that you guys have done a bunch of, of things together to try to raise money for the foundation. And he was telling us about a documentary 
where you guys were climbing a mountain. And I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Mike with the Lost Limbs Foundation called me last year and he said that he wants to challenge himself. He wants to push himself because I just helped him uh, raise money for his foundation for a child that was up here at the Boston Children's Hospital. And I went up there and I raised some money for him to help that person for, that was an amputee and needed prosthetic and they couldn't raise the money. So I helped out there and basically Mike said, you know, I'm in a tough place in my life. I need to mentally challenge myself and I need to physically challenge challenge myself because I feel like if I don't, time's going to slip by and then eventually I'm going to be in the same place I'm in now and, and I need to show kids to never give up. And that's how it all started. So I, he said, I want to climb a mountain. He said some like crazy mountain. I'm like, whoa, let's take it. <laughs> let's take it slow. You know, it's like Mount Kilimanjaro or like, oh man, it's Mount Everest or something. I'm like, Mike, hold up. <laughs> let's try something a little smaller. So I said, why not Mount Washington in New Hampshire? I, I did that when I was a kid. I kind of know it. I know it's somewhat, it's very difficult. I think the most dangerous part about that mountain is the altitude and the weather changes rapidly on the top. I think they have the uh, fastest clocked wind speeds on the top of Mount Washington in the world, which is pretty wild. You can see doc- you can see like video footage and documentaries online about it. And a lot of people have passed away. It's just a dangerous mount, but it's still, you know, we can do it. So Mike agreed. And what we did is we started pushing ourselves physically to train. And I knew I had to push myself even more. So I liked it because it it made me get back in the gym and want to work harder and train harder. And I needed that in my life, that balance, you know, it's like my positive outlook with all these other like living at locations and decrepit and horrible stories that I got to hear about from people. So I was doing that. <laughs> right. And I basically knew that if something goes wrong, I have to carry Mike. All right, we're going kind of into war here. So I started training like hardcore. <laughs> so I was training for months and then um, uh, we got Jeff Waldridge to film the camera. Uh, Elizabeth came out, Elizabeth Saint came out and filmed the other camera. I filmed some camera and then we kind of all came together. And basically what happened is, is Mike's prosthetic that he just got, the valve on it malfunctioned. So he had to resort to crutches. So he he had crutches on 6,600, whatever it was, elevation to climb to the, you know, the top of Mount Washington. And it was one of the most craziest things, honestly, we've ever done. So he was crutching most of the way. I would have to put him on my back and carry 165 pounds over like a slippery log to get over the stream. And then he would crutch up most of the mountain. Then he would resort to just going onto his like his butt and hands and just going inch by inch because eventually his knees start getting swollen and you know it's seven miles so just imagine on one lake what seven miles is and basically we got to six miles from the peak or the summit i was carrying him because he his body started giving up you know so i had to carry him on my back for about a mile up the mountain uh off and on on burst sprints and stuff and it got really rocky and you have to climb up and basically his back got strained so I had and it was getting scary because we were on the mountain for about 13 hours at that point, you know, and they shut down the top of it at a certain time. And there's no way we can go back down. So we, we had to make it to the top or get help. So I, I sprinted to the top, got help, ran a mile and a half, which was crazy, and then ran all the way back 
down by myself. And we got lucky because it was the 150th anniversary of the Cog Railway. And they, the conductor decided to come up with help uh, search and rescue team in New Hampshire and get off the Cog Railway. And uh, we got Mike as close as we can. And they basically put him onto the, the train and we just backed down the whole entire mountain that way at like really late at night. And it was, it was the most amazing feeling in the world, honestly. I was up there sitting by myself while they were stretching in with the camera and I'm just watching the sunset. And we got lucky. The weather was nice. It hailed for a bit. It got weird at one point and then storms passed over and then it just sunny. It's like Mike was rescued. The sun is setting beautifully. I'm on top of like this Mount Washington scene, everything in New Hampshire. And it's like the heavens opened up and it was like the most incredible documentary, you know, we could have put together. So it's streaming right now on uh, Vidi Space, V-I-D-I Space. And it's also on Amazon Prime. It's called Unlimited Journey. And that's how it all started. So it was an incredible experience. And then basically after that, I said, all right, I got another challenge for us. (laughs) So that's how we've been raising all the money for the kids for Lost Limbs Foundation. And we've helped a lot of children in need of prosthetics. Like that's families can't afford that stuff. You know, it's like really expensive, man. These poor kids like born into this world with um, no legs and arms and eyes and accidents or whatever the case is. Like we're raising money to help those children and all the money goes to them. And then we basically the purpose of, you know, doing this ongoing series is to show people in life. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your perspective, never give up. No matter what the challenge is, don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Keep motivated. Keep fighting forward. And especially in today, like look at today with COVID, you know, look at what's going on in the world. You just mind over body is basically our determination and unlimited journey to uh, make an impact for people for the better, I guess. Yeah. And Mike, like I said, is an incredible human being in his own right. And we're going to have him on the show. We, we actually tried to get him on a couple of weeks ago, but he was going through some medical situations. And uh, so he's going to be on here soon and you'll be able to hear a lot of of what his trials and tribulations are he's got a book out tells a little bit about how he lost his leg and everything he went through and, and what got him to this point but like i said a very outstanding young man and everybody if you're listening and you want to help out lost limbs foundation go check them out and uh, hopefully throw some money their way and you can you can help them out yep all right, Nick, I ask every investigator I have come on the same questions to end the show. <laughs> First cool. and foremost, have you ever been in a situation, whether it be an investigation or just in your personal life, that frightened you where you thought, this is more than I bargained for? There's been several situations in my life where I've been startled or I've been, it made me think and stop and change my ways in life. You know, it's affected me to that, to that making, making myself a better person. I've been at locations where you feel like something has passed through you. You feel that negative presence or you feel that little dark cloud over your head and it just doesn't feel right. I mean, here's how I break it down is like, we have good people and bad people in this world and both of those, you know, people pass away. So that negativity, just as the good can be left behind at locations and stain it. And I've been to a lot of dark locations with history and I feel sometimes I felt like I I picked up that stuff like a magnet, you know, and and I bring it back to wherever I'm going. And sometimes you can't shake it It, or it's like the people you're around, you know. I've had like a lot of those experiences at locations where it's really, really affected me. Um, I think more on a personal level, you know, than rather than like, oh, my gosh, we documented that EVP or we documented that that weird (sighs) 
shadow figure or something like that. It's just been like the situations for me that get under my skin is when they affect me the most in my lifestyle and it disrupts my lifestyle in that sense, you know, for a negative instead of a positive. So there's been a lot of locations like that, but I've learned to deal with it and uh, move forward and shake it off and you know. Do you have a location out of everyone you've been to? Do you have one that stands out as a favorite? Yeah, there's so many. So each location offers something different and I take away like a piece of it from every location. But I think um, Shepton Mallet Prison in uh, the United Kingdom near Bath was an interesting location because I saw so many shadow figures at that place with my own eyes. Just standing there one night when I was staying at the location for Pernal Lockdown for three days, I would stand there like at dusk and I would just watch these shadow figures move about from uh, in the courtyard from like the older jail cells you'd see them and they'd move you know they'd zip by from one location to the next and it wasn't just like one time or a glimpse out of the corner of my eye or anything you know like that it was like i would stand there and just stare at them and they're just like boom 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 that made me like <laughs> i don't know shadow figures to me are like very interesting it's almost like they're of a higher intelligence that are more of observers that come down from other some other space or time or whatever and ha- almost have this cloaking. And they, they collectively gather information from like locations that have dramatic effects of negativity or some sort of historical like death or I don't know. It's just very bizarre. That's what I've realized with shadow figures. And I, I catch them at a lot of these locations, but that location was more apparent than just like, you know, what did I see? Did I actually see that or did I not? Like, I knew what I saw there. Uh, That's one that stood out to me. Another location is when I filmed for the new series I'm working on now called Nick Roth Investigates. It's coming out this year and I'm really excited about it because it's a new perspective on the paranormal. It's my own journey and it's with me. And basically, I'm talking to all people of walks of life from skeptics to believers to different theories to time to space and so on. And I feel like this is what the paranormal needs, to be honest with you, to push it forward and think outside the box. It's really about conversation, right? It's about communication and conversation conversating with each other it's really that's really where it stands i feel at this point uh, just as just as people like forget everything else you know forget trying to put everything in a box it's just communication of information is really what the life journey is about for anybody so that's kind of what nick roth investigates is is um documenting just that and what we do is we go into locations that i've investigated not not just all of them. We investigate some new ones I've never been to, but we also dive into like time and space and, you know, the paranormal in the sense of that. But Bobby Mackey's music world really is an interesting location I've investigated for a decade. And we re-explore that. We re-explore the Washoe Club in Virginia City, Nevada, where I kind of really got my start in that sense. What I thought was a ghost at the Washoe Club back then, you know, when I investigated it, and then over the decade of investigating it multiple times, going back there for Nick Roth Investigates, I realized that possibly what I dealt with, what I thought was a ghost, saying my name on a recorder could actually be me in the present time speaking back to myself in that time. Oh, wow. You know, so it's like we dive into like ideas of notion of time, space. You know, we're trying to like think I I believe that not everything is ghosts how we thought when we were in our 20s and young kids. Right. (laughs) 
And let's be real, it's not. Like, it can't be just everything is a ghost when the blinky lights go off or everything is a ghost when I'm experiencing something. I think energy, conscious thought, the brain, ultra realities, dimensions, different beings, space, time, it all kind of plays and lingers in, into each other. And I think every location has something different. And the world that we live in is just so bizarre. We don't know everything about everything. So we're just kind of scraping the surface of different ideas. And really, that's what I find to be intriguing for Nick Roth Investigates and when you asked the question I mean that was a location that really blew my mind because I experienced that I'm like whoa we're not deal- just dealing with a ghost it's it actually could be me and here's a location that could be folding time and this is a location that could be like holding energy or slipping through like moments okay we saw this maybe this guy with a cowboy hat or whatever in this like ballroom or whatever it was and I thought that was a ghost somebody that was here and died and passed away but what happens if that that person saw me too and thinks I'm a ghost prior to them or a ghost or a futuristic alien being or whatever. Like, here's what we're dealing with. What happens if we're dealing with past, present time, you know, future, all that stuff folding and we just declare it as ghosts when actually the realities are just going on simultaneously, but we're just kind of bending it a little bit with how this world kind of bleeds through a little bit. So I don't know. It's interesting, man. That's kind of the rabbit hole I dive down when we get into these topics. <laughs> when uh, when will that show be released and on what channel will that be on? We're, we're releasing it this year. Uh, Nick Ruff Investigates. We just got done filming last year. I'm actually, I was editing all day the last episode right now. So I'm putting it together now. We're going to announce it really soon where everybody can see it. Everyone in the world pretty much will see it. We're talking to several different people and, and different platforms. So we're excited. Uh, I'll be announcing it very soon awesome. to answer your question yeah any other irons in the fire as we speak yeah so unlimited journey episode one and two is out right now on viddy space everyone can see that streaming there there's a 15 day free trial anyone can go uh, for free sign up to viddy space and if you put in a code called i love space you just put in i love space all capitals you get 50 percent off a really cheap uh, there's like over 500 films, paranormal content, documentaries, unlimited journeys up there. My new show that I'm doing called The G Crew is with Chad Lindbergh and Johnny Hauser and Josh Hurd. We're, uh, you know, having great conversations with different people of all walks of life. We just launched season two today on G Crew. We have a Patreon page up now. It's in our our social media links. You can see it. You know, we talked to like all sorts of great people from uh, Olympian swimmers like Trina Jackson to Ninja Warrior people like Joe and Matt Eisman, the host, and also people like in the paranormal like Dustin Perry, Chris Williams, David Schrader, Johnny Zaffis, and John Tenney, and Bobby Mackey, and you know, tons and tons of people we talk to. So we're excited. So yeah, I'm just excited about Nick Roth Investigates. The G crew is going every day. We're doing that. And basically I'm working on a documentary right now. I've been doing for four years that uh, we're releasing this year, part part one of it. So I'm really excited about that. We'll announce that really soon too. It's probably one of the best things I did. Honestly, it's a real solid investigation on, you know, everything paranormal. It's really unique. That's awesome, brother. How can people keep up with you on social media? Uh, I've been posting a lot on Instagram. <laughs> so Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter's Twitter's cool. It's all right. But I mean, I, Instagram's a little more cool with videos and pictures and like stories. So all my links are on my Instagram right now. And also 
I don't know why, but I feel crazy at night when I'm editing all day and I started doing TikTok. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so ridiculous and so like a great outlet to just be stupid. So I just been releasing a ton of like dumb TikTok videos of like whatever hip hop songs and I don't know. <laughs> so it's fun brother i can't thank you enough for coming on it's made this 200th episode extremely special for us i know our listeners are going to absolutely love it and man best of luck in the future thank you so much 200th episode awesome <laughs> all right brother thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon all right man take care thank you so much how about that for a surprise guest that was awesome he is so fun too yeah absolutely it was uh and it's funny because i got to talk to him probably for probably 35 or 40 minutes after the fact and he was just as nice with his time as as you know he was during the interview yeah he he certainly was yeah class act man class act yeah that was a great surprise tracy jerry would would you like to uh do our itunes reviews and our patreons for this week before we get into the tracy raps i know that's what everybody's waiting for um, okay, our iTunes was our forever love, Mojo Lobster. Thank you, honey. You just are just so wonderful to do that all the time for us. Chet Bartlett and Symbo's Girl. Our Patreons this week was Kristen and Donna Smith. We thank you guys so much for your patronage and supporting us. Uh, please keep those reviews coming in. We love them so much. We appreciate them, and they help us a lot more than you'll ever know. And we, we talked to you guys a couple of weeks ago uh, about, you know, just spreading the word and listens were a little bit down, mainly because people weren't traveling back and forth to work. And that's when a lot of people listen or they listen at work. And since we've done that, our listens have skyrocketed. So you guys telling your friends and picking up, you know, the, the phone or the computer and listening to us when you could have probably been watching TV or something means the world to us. And uh, that's that's been fantastic, and we greatly appreciate it. Please keep in mind that we are part of a fantastic network, the Podbelly Network. They're giving away stickers. Just go to the podbelly.com, get your free stickers there. You just got to put in the password, which is Kevin the Pig. And I think you guys will like it. And you can check out some of the other shows while you're there. I'm sure a lot of you are Stephen King fans. There's a show on on our network called The Dark Multiverse of Stephen King. If you're a Stephen King fan, you need to check that out. That is right up your alley. It's all things Stephen King. And speaking of all things, if you're a Star Wars fan, the All Things Star Wars podcast. Oh, my god! Also on the network. And if you want to stick with a little more paranormal, the podcast. You'll like that. Go check out Mandy yeah, on that Yeah, you guys one. check them out. Okay. Are we ready? Can I go hide under the bed? <laughs> well, you had to make room for Ninja because he's already well, there. Well, literally, Jerry said it. I usually like, I sing this in the car when it comes on, and it totally sounds different in the car <laughs> than when I'm like reading the words if I have to. So I don't even get it. I could get down with my bad self, like get all in. I just can't do it here. I don't know why. Just really weird. So anyway, I love you guys. Please do not leave the podcast because of this. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this 200th episode. We try to make it special. Thank you. We love you all.
wake up late for school and you don't want to go. You ask your mom please, but she still says no. You miss two classes and no homework. But your teacher preaches class like you're some kind of jerk. You gotta fight for the right to party. Your pop caught you smoking and he said, no way. That hypocrite smokes two packs a day. Man, living in a home, it's such a drag. Now your mom threw away your best porno mag. You gotta fight for your right to You gotta fight! Don't step out of this house if it's closed you're gonna weigh ya I'll kick you out of my home if you don't cut that hair Your mom busted in and said, what's that noise? Oh, mom, you're just jealous. It's the Beastie Boys. You gotta fight for your right to party. You gotta fight for your right to party. Oh